right, how are you guys doing this morning? It is good to see all of your beautiful faces, whether you're watching online or in person. I'm excited and honored to speak to you on such a beautiful Memorial Day weekend. Um, but before we go any farther, I do want to take a second and to honor um, uh, the Memorial Day aspect of it. It's not Happy Memorial Day. It's a day of honoring. It's a day of remembering. And it's a day of being thankful. So would you guys just take a moment of silence as we remember those people? Guys, thank you for uh, any family members that uh, you're celebrating on this weekend, uh, whether it be multi-generational or whatnot. Um, we truly appreciate you here at Jubilee, um, and we honor you guys. So uh, thank you so much. Yeah, well, I have a few other things that I want to say. First, it's today's my mother's birthday, but she's not here. So if you see her next week and say happy birthday to her, I don't want to embarrass her or anything like that, but I do want to make sure that she's honored because she needs to be honored. She's a wonderful mother and a wonderful woman, so I want to make sure that she's honored. So next week, and say happy birthday to her, yes. Yes, so we are in a series called Second Timothy, and the whole prognosis of it is just to dive in the book of Second Timothy, to see what Paul was writing to Timothy in, in, while he was in prison in Rome. And really, if you actually get into the deep part of Second Timothy, this was the last book Paul ever wrote. This was right before he was about to be executed. So it's such a deep theological, a deep relational, it's deep for pastors, it's deep for followers, because this man is desperate. This is where the scripture, well done, good and faithful servant, comes from. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. Paul was ready to go to heaven, but he wanted to make sure the church was okay without him being there. So that's why we chose the idea of just going after 2 Timothy. This is our fifth week. First week we had Pastor Jake kick it off. He did a wonderful job. And then we had Pastor John do the last three weeks. And I know I say this every single time, but if you are not caught up specifically last week, the ministry time, my goodness. And you might be thinking, okay, if it's recorded, is the Holy Spirit still going to be there? Yep. So get on and watch it and see what the Holy Spirit can do in the ministry time that we did at the end. So I'm going to read you a scripture in 2 Timothy 4.11. It goes this way. Get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. I know most of you are reading that and saying, what the heck does that have to do with the series of 2 Timothy? Why is this such an important line? Literally, that's what I want to talk to you today about, is that one scripture. And I believe the Lord gave me this idea, that we have a lot of readers of the word, but we don't have a lot of studiers of the word. We have a lot of people that check it off. I read my Bible for today. But if you look at the importance of what Paul's saying here, then you'll understand that there's something that we can desperately learn. If we go back to Acts 13, on Paul's first mission trips, he was with Barnabas, Paul, and Mark. And they go to Cyrus, and they have one convert, one person that comes to know who Jesus is. And then they go to another place, and the living conditions are horrible. And Mark deserts them. Mark leaves them high and dry. He says, I, don't, I no longer want to do this. So then we go to Acts 15. And the title of Acts 15 is the Council of Jerusalem. 
And really the Council of Jerusalem was Paul was talking about how the Gentiles were grafted into the, the Jewish side of Christianity. So Peter's more uh, the, the missionary for the Jews, while Paul's more of the missionary for the Gentiles. And they're arguing about the Pentecost for the Jews and the Pentecost for the Gentiles. Because there were two different Pentecosts for each one. And they're arguing and saying, hey, do, do the Gentiles, do they need to be circumcised? Do they need to come and fall under what the, the Jewish way of life is? And Paul's arguing, no, that's not what we need to do. Because it's through Christ that we are saved, not through our acts and actions. And then they get to the end of it, and Barnabas goes, hey, I really think we should bring Mark back along. And Paul refuses. Paul refuses. He says, no way. That man deserted us. When we had nobody or nothing, he left us. Says, no way. And Paul's missionary, his buddy, his partner was Barnabas. And it was such an altercation between the two that they split up. So Barnabas, he goes, okay, then I will go with Mark. I will go with Mark and we will go out to the Gentiles. And Paul says, fine, I will go with Cyrus. So they go out and they separate. So when I was saying the whole thing, if we have a lot of readers of the word, but not a lot of studiers of the word, you see a scripture like this in 2 Timothy and if you're not studying what happens in Acts, if you're not studying what happens in the other epistles and the Gospels, then you, can't, you miss out on such a big opportunity of being like, what happened in Paul's mind over this 20, 30-year time period for him to refuse to work with someone and then on his deathbed, the last book he would ever write, the last sentences that he would ever write down, and he's asking to see this man again because he's good to my ministry. What happened to Paul. So that's what I want to talk to you about today. Mark's life. What did Mark do? What can we learn from Mark's life? I believe in order to go any farther, we need to learn a little bit more of who Mark is. Mark is also known as John Mark, so if you ever see that in the Bible, it's the same person. He's credited to being one of the early church believers. And I mean, like, with Jesus. Not just after Jesus was crucified. He saw Jesus in person. His, mother, his mother's house was used as a place for believers to come to worship and to pray and to have community. So from a very young age, he saw Jesus at his house with fellow believers worshiping and community and praying and supplication. He saw these things. He's mentioned as Barnabas' cousin, so maybe that's why Barnabas stood up for him. Give him a second chance. We already know that he deserted Paul and Barnabas on their first mission trip. Some of the, uh, of the reasons theologians believe that he left, I already mentioned one of them, that it was hard times, but it also could have been that he was a little racist toward Gentiles. That he didn't believe Gentiles deserved who Jesus was to him. The missions team split over a decision to let Mark join. So Mark and Barnabas went to Cyprus. And that, by the way, is where um, they had the one convert on his first mission trip. So the first place he goes back to is Cyprus. 
Mark wrote the first gospel, the book of Mark, between 55 and 59 AD. It's the first synoptic gospel. It's the first gospel to be written in the New Testament. One of the first to be written in the, the entire New Testament. He passed away in the city of Alexandria. They believe it was the year 68 AD. And it's believed that he had a rope tied around his neck and he was dragged all around the city until he died because he was preaching Jesus to a pagan city. So we see the up and downs of Mark's life. The immaturity and maturity. And I know this is a quick synopsis of Mark's life. But I believe there is so much that we can learn from this man's life. From one of our founding fathers of our religion. Can you imagine having Paul and Peter being your mentors? I mean, man alive. Man alive. This man has been at the bottom of the barrel and he's seen the glory of the Lord. He lived an incredible and fulfilling life. And I want to show you a few glaring things that I see in his life that could monumentally help us as a church, as a community, and as a person. The first thing that I see is this from Paul's life the danger of puppy love. And I wanted it to be more elegant, but the more I thought of it, there's not really another elegant way of saying it. So we say in our relationship, right? Puppy love is infatuation. I remember when I was meeting and getting to know Holly, she was like, I love the Philadelphia Eagles and I'm going to watch every single game with you. We got married. She hasn't watched one Philadelphia Eagles game with me. Not even when they went to the Super Bowl. I remember she asked me, Daniel, you can do electricity? I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I can do drywall and plumbing. And then we get married and she's like, Daniel, can you fix this fan? And I'm like, hey, Uncle Terry. Um, the, the white wire goes with the red wire. To the point now where I'm like, just, just call Terry and have him come over. Just Terry will come over. Puppy love is an infatuation. It's that longing to be wanted. And when you get to that place, that puppy love, don't get me wrong, there's a danger in puppy love, but puppy love's very important. But if that puppy love doesn't develop into a mature love or a devotion, then it gets dangerous. Extremely dangerous. We see Mark at a young age, in and around people, including Jesus Christ himself. Paul can't even say that he knew Jesus intimately while he was living. There's few and far between that can say they knew Jesus Christ before he was crucified and raised from the dead. And Mark was one of them, and he was a young man. Here's something interesting I heard a few years ago, and I think you guys will get a kick out of it. I'm going to read it to you. Mark 14, 48 through 50 goes this way. I am leading a rebellion, said Jesus, that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me. Every day I was with you, teaching in the temple courts, and you did not arrest me. But the scriptures must be fulfilled. Then everyone deserted him and fled. A young man wearing nothing but a linen garment was following Jesus when they seized him. He fled naked, leaving his garment behind. Another one of those weird scriptures, right? <laughs> this is when Jesus was getting arrested. Many theologians believe 
And I would agree with them that Mark was that young man. I could prove it to you this way. It's not written in any other gospel. And I could just see Mark, if the scripture is Holy Spirit inspired and God breathed, couldn't you just see Mark sitting down writing this and like talking about this and the Holy Spirit like urging him to say it? And he's like, nope, I'm not talking about this. He's like, you're either going to be obedient or you're not going to be obedient. Mark's like, fine, but I'm not saying my name. Okay? (laughs) It's just the humanity of who we are as humans. But another reason why I believe this is Mark is I believe it starts to show a negative pattern in his life. And that negative pattern is desertion. The second the going got tough, the second he was seized, what did he do? He ran away. And it even says that everyone deserted him. And you could see this puppy love of Mark being like, oh, i got to watch Jesus. i got to make sure he's okay. And then the second the going gets tough, he gets grabbed, he gets seized, he's gone. Runs away naked. And then in his mission trip with Paul, what does he do? He deserts them. When the going gets tough, this was a negative pattern in Mark's life. So I believe the danger of puppy love, if it doesn't mature into a devotion is you can fall into negative patterns. So church, let me ask you this question. What are some negative patterns in your life if you're still in this puppy love phase? And let me, let me reiterate this. Maturity in your faith is not your age. You can be 60 years old and still be immature in your faith. You can be 20 years old and be immature in your faith. So how do you tell maturity in your faith? It's by the fruit that you produce in your life. So what are some of those negative patterns? Is it like Mark? Where he deserted when the going got tough? I would say, in my generation, it's this. The negative pattern of just being offended. They go to church or a small group and they say something that's preached and spoken from the word, and they don't agree with it, so they leave. Where's the loyalty in my generation to their church? And I don't mean to be harsh and hard, but we hear something that we don't agree with, even though it's in the word, and we say, peace. Not for me. I'm going to go find another church. What is the negative patterns in other generations? Maybe harshness? Maybe not following through with things? Giving up? What are the negative patterns in your own life? You know, we've always talked about general blessings and curses, and we've talked about it in the aspect of generational, like my family, my father, my grandfather. How about generational curses and blessings of generations? 
What's the generational curse and blessing of your generation? All you have to do is look around. Look within yourself. Humble yourself for one second and just say, Lord, move in my heart and say, am I mature in my faith? Am I still in this puppy love state? And I've already told you the way that you discover what it is and how it is is through the fruit that you're producing. Are you producing good fruit in your life? What are the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. Are you producing those fruits in your life? Mark's negative pattern was he deserted people when the going got tough. I remember when I came back from YWAM, which is Youth for the Mission, it's a missionary organization. I came back and I was on fire from the Lord. And I grew up in the church and I, you know, there was times I was on fire for the Lord. But this specific time I came back and it was true puppy love. And anybody can relate. It's like so easy to just enter the presence of the Lord. It's like, dear Lord, ah. <laughs> And then you grow and mature. You have to work for it a little more. And there's seasons where you do and seasons where you don't. But I remember I come home and I was just like on fire for the Lord. Saw miracles, saw amazing things. But I wasn't fully committed to what the word had said. So I remember talking to my sister Katie. And I go, hey, you know, the whole Noah thing like that, there's no way that actually happened, right? Right? Like, there's no way. And she goes, well, Daniel, you're an idiot. Because <laughs> if it says it in the Bible, then we have to believe it. If it's God-breathed and Holy Spirit-inspired, it's the same thing as, 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 as being in a different religion. You can't pick and choose from the Bible. If you pick and choose from the Bible, then it takes all spirituality, the holiness, the perfectness of what God written, wrote in it. So that was a learning curve for me. My negative pattern was questioning what the Word said. So what did Mark do with his negative pattern? His negative pattern of desertion. What did I do with questioning exactly, believing what the word had said? He surrounded himself with mature Christians. So Mark leaves and flees Paul and Barnabas. And you could just imagine, because even with this negative pattern of puppy love, you make a mistake and it's not like you're all joyful. You're broken. And I could just see Mark broken. I failed them. I messed up. I ran away. What's the first thing he did? He went to Peter. He surrounded himself with mature women and men of their faith. So when you guys notice these negative patterns in your life, are you surrounding yourself with mature believers? And I have this later on in my notes, but I just want to bring this up right now. Young people, young people, teenagers, young adults, I felt like the Lord's put this on my heart to say to you, your parents can be mature believers. They can be someone that you can surround yourself with. And I remember in my young age, I mean, my parents felt like 
some of the most mature spiritual person people I've ever met and I was like I don't want anything to do from you I don't want to hear what you think I'm doing wrong the audacity the immaturity I want to take so my buddy it's David's wedding tomorrow David's getting married so we have a lot of yeah let's give it up for David let's give it up for David yeah um, and so we have a lot of family and friends in town, and I have a few friends from high school here, Ryan Pagnata and Daniel Wood, love them to death. Um, but I remember when Ryan Pagnata came up to me in, I don't know, maybe eighth, seventh or eighth grade, and he goes, Daniel, I had no idea your dad was like a big pastor. <laughs> and I was like, he is a big pastor? Like, because I was like not even thinking about it. I was like, it's just my life. It's always done it. And then, it, and it's still, I had the audacity to tell my dad and my mom, I don't want to hear what you have to say about me. I have always respected them, always honored them, but I didn't want to hear that you're wrong for doing this. The way you reacted in doing this was wrong. I didn't want to be corrected. And you know why? It's because I justified it by surrounding myself with people that agreed with it. So I think some of the biggest things that we as a church, when we get into this new pattern, when we get offended, my church especially, is we surround ourselves that people are like-minded in that. And they, they justify your offense by saying, I agree with you. But if you're doing that, are you truly growing? If you're surrounding yourself with people that just agree with everything you say, how on earth can you expect to grow as a human being? If you don't have a friend that can tell you you're wrong for doing that, if you don't have a friend that can come to you and say the way that you approached the situation was inappropriate, if you don't have a friend that can correct, reproof, encourage you, then you are not growing as a believer. Church, we surround ourselves with people that are like-minded like us, in this scenario of justification, it does say in the Bible to surround ourselves with like-minded people when it comes to the word, correct? But Mark surrounded himself with people that were mature in their faith. But could you imagine if we gave permission to people to say, hey, I want you to speak into my life? Because here's the thing, I, I meet, I've, met, I've met with older people, it's part of my job. I know a lot of older people that are very smart, very competent of the word and what's right and wrong, but they're scared to pour into the younger generation because they don't want to start conflict. So could you imagine a generation, could you imagine all generations giving permission to other people to speak into their lives and saying, this is wrong? Could you imagine where the church would be at if we asked people, speak into my life, but I will say this, be careful with who you ask. I'm in a family of 100 pastors. 100 pastors. So I think it's important for me to also ask people outside of my family. Of course, I've let them speak into my life. But I think it's important that I find other people to speak into my life still. Pastor DJ was a huge person for me. Huge. He had to correct me. 
He had to put me in his place. And I had to tell him at one point, hey, I give you permission to speak into my life. When you ask someone to be a mentor, you're giving them permission to speak in your life. But I've also asked other people to speak into my life to be a mentor, and it just was negative, nitpicking, and there's no life in it. So cherish that. Cherish that. Cherish who you let speak into your life. Just don't flippantly say, hey, would you be my mentor? Pray about it. See the fruit of that person. Are they living a godly life? Are they a good example? Do they have a good marriage? Do they have a good relationship with the Lord? You read the fruit of a person, and then you say, I give you permission to speak into my life. Be very careful who you ask. What we see in Mark's life is that he went to Peter when he gave up and he gave authority and said, Peter, speak into my life. I want to read you a scripture in 2 Timothy. It goes this way, Damas has deserted me because he loves the things of this life and has gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia and Titus has gone to Dalmatia. So right there, we see a guy named Damas who says that he left the faith and is living a worldly life. So on one hand, we have Mark in 2 Timothy, messes up, deserts these people, his brothers in Christ and his brothers, I'm sure, and his cousin, is, I mean, they're friends. He messes up, he deserts. What does he do? He goes back and surrounds himself with people like Peter. We have this guy, Damas, who comes and runs to Thessalonica. Doesn't go to surround himself around mature believers, goes to feed his own wants. It's these simple choices that we make in our life that can make a lasting story forever. Damas was a, a missionary. What if he would have gone back? What if he would have gone to Peter? What if he would have stayed? Would he have been mentioned as a fellow good soldier? What if he would have written a book? But the simple decisions in our life when we go off the lusts of our wants and our needs and our flesh take us away from what the Lord has for us. It's not easy to go and surround yourself from mature Christians when you have to repent. It's one of the hardest things to do. And Mark noticed what he did, and he still did it. So church, I encourage you. Surround yourself with mature Christians when you see a negative pattern in your life. Mature people. The next thing that we see in Mark's life that I believe we can learn from is when he fell, he got back up. When he fell, he got back up. In Proverbs 24, it says this, And though the righteous fall seven times, they rise again, but the wicked stumble when calamity strikes. The righteous stand back up when they fall, when they make mistakes, no matter how many times it is. I had someone ask, well, Daniel, what if they fall eight times? I'm like, shut up, okay? You get the point of what Jesus is saying here, Okay. 
have a story. Um, see, in my studying, I believe that not only can we fall down as an individual, but I also think that we can be tripped and thrown down. I don't think it's just, it, it can be our fault. In Mark's story, it was his fault. But I do believe that there's certain situations, actually not even certain, a lot of situations where we stumble, we fall because someone trips us. When I first started ministry, I was a youth pastor over at the youth, uh, at, at um, Lakewood campus. And I had a gentleman there that um, I trusted, um, loved, and um, he betrayed all trust in everything that was just horrible. To the point where I'm the shepherd of the flock, which are the kids, right? And it was a wolf in the den. And I remember when all of this happened, we had to come together as a staff, and I was in the back, and just the enemy was just biting at me. This is your fault. You let him in. You should have seen this. And I remember I was just listening to, I don't know about you guys, but whenever I get sad like this, there's, I love reggae music, and it, like, it just always kind of makes me a little more cheery. So I'm just listening to this one song over and over and over. And it's kind of a depressing song. So I don't know why. It was, it's a depressing reggae song. And yeah. Yeah. So it wasn't cheering me up, but I was just listening to it over. It's called Fade Away. I can't sing it. So don't ask. But it was, um, it was a really, it was probably the first low point, first slap in the face of the world of what ministry was. The first big slap in the face of what ministry was. Um, in my first time being in ministry. And it took me a solid, it could be a year. I was in a rut. And I blamed myself. But you see, you have to come to the conclusion that even when you're tripped, the righteous stand back up. And even when you stumble, you stand back up. Even if you fall in the negative pattern of desertion, of questioning the word, of bitterness, of anger, of questioning your calling, the righteous fall down seven times and seven times they stand up. It says in the Bible to put the armor of God on and stand up. Church, I beg of you, I implore you. Life is a fight. Whether you want to be in it or not, we're in it. And the word says that we as believers are supposed to put on the armor of God daily and stand up and fight. And I know there's days that you don't feel like doing it. There's days that I don't feel like doing it. But church, we live in a day and age where we desperately need to put on the armor of God and stand up. Fight for what is wrong. Sorry, fight for what is right and not what is wrong. Church, we, 
You have a choice in it. But really when it comes down to, we don't have a choice in it. We need men and women of God that are willing to stand up when they fall, that are willing to admit when they're wrong, that are willing to stand up daily in the God of armor and say, I fight with you, Lord. I fight with you, brother and sister. I felt like the Lord was speaking to me on this message. Now there's men and women in here that have been tripped by somebody or something, that there's men and women in here that have fallen and they have stumbled and they're tired and they haven't got back up. That they've been so hurt by a person that they were shoved from behind and thrown down. That maybe you have stumbled so many times in this addiction. Maybe you've stumbled so many times with this thing in your life that you can't get away. And I felt like the Lord said to encourage you, church, to say, stand up. See, we as a church should long to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. But we're here and we're now. We should long to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. But a faithful servant doesn't give up. A faithful servant stands back up. And I know it's hard. And I know some of you have been thrown to the ground in such an evil and disgusting way, in a way that I can't even comprehend. But I implore you, stand back up. Stand back up. We must fight for righteousness in our life. And one of the ways that we fight for righteousness is by standing back up. Church, would you pray with me? Lord, I know you're doing something with someone in here today. I know we've been able to learn from Mark's life and understanding the difference of puppy love and devotion, surrounding ourselves with people that are mature believers, and then standing up when we fall back down. But I really felt like the Lord said, and you could come look at my clothes, I always leave it this, let the Lord move on what he wants to do in the closing. And I felt like the Lord said, Daniel, there's people in here that have been tripped, that have been wronged, that have fallen, that have, but they haven't gotten back up. So Jesus, move in their hearts right now. Touch their hearts right now. Touch their hearts right now. Church, maybe it's a wound from years ago. as a kid, as a teenager. Broken marriage. A best friend betrayal. And it's derailed you. 
in your relationship with the Lord. And you might be saying to yourself, no, I'm fine because my fruit of my flesh are great. I make money. I have the things that I want. But I promise you this, church, that that only brings temporary satisfaction. And that you are leaving yourself short of the glory of the Lord in your life. Move in the hearts, Lord. Keep your eyes bowed. If I could get your hands up and you're at that place where you feel down, that you feel knocked down, that you need to get back up, I want to pray over those people right now. Gotcha. 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 See ya. So, Lord, I speak right now into the people that raised their hands that you would break any condemnation that any wrongdoing to them Lord that would be taken away that any injustice that lies that have been spoken over their lives I pray for freedom right this second Lord that they would be able to stand up from these chairs in the first step they would feel this weight taken off of them and that they would be able to rise up Rise up, followers. Rise up, believers. Jesus, I pray for a new thing in those people that raised their hands. And maybe for the people that were too scared to raise their hand, and for the people that didn't and they're at a good place, then hallelujah. We pray that you would break chains and that you would bring freedom right now. That they would come into the fullness of who you are in their lives. Lord, we honor you. We so honor you. We surrender that to you. We surrender these negative things that people have said about this. We surrender these things that have bogged us down. We surrender these addictions to you, Lord, and we put them at the foot of the cross. We pray for change. In Jesus' holy name, the only name that makes it true. The only name that can make it possible. In Jesus' name we say, amen.